Welcome to Plant Network Podcast, where we talk to horticulturists about their gardens and their careers. Today I'm talking to Doug Stewart. Now, Doug is the epitome of a horticulturist. He has done absolutely everything and is, is probably what best known to listeners as a horticultural lecturer and tutor, particularly on the RHS qualifications. So, Doug, thank you for joining me today. A total complete pleasure. So tell us about what you've been up to recently and what you're doing at the moment. Right, well, it's a really exciting time at the moment, but then it's always an exciting time in horticulture because the great thing about horticulture is that everything is always changing and we strive to do things better and of course we have that mantra don't we that next year will always be better you know it will be different next year the weather will be different next year so the big projects at the moment I work with RHS qualifications as a professional associate and I'm helping them in their review of their qualifications authoring new content for qualifications and helping them also with their move to their online qualifications and examinations so that's all been very very exciting when when I'm not doing that I've been writing a book at the beginning of the the lockdown um, I was approached by a publisher and they asked if I would write a book sort of a sustainability manual for gardens managers and so that's been taking an enormous amount of time it's not difficult you know Rebecca to get the words it's getting the words in the right order that's that's the mystery to me um, beavering away very much on that and that's that's been a really interesting project because the great thing about writing a book is you have to do the research and research and learning more and finding out more about things um, is always 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 exciting and enjoyable. Can you tell us a little about the book or is it is it shrouded in secrecy at the moment? Well I don't think it's shrouded in secrecy I haven't read I haven't read the contract so I don't know if I can say too much or not but what the basic premise is if you were asked to write a book on sustainable horticulture it's very difficult because if you say well actually let's think about grassed areas actually you know first of all we should call them grassed areas instead of fine turf we can talk about the emissions from mowing we can talk about going to to battery powered tools and equipment which from a health and safety point of view and a risk assessment is a no-brainer because we've got to do you know what is 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 the least damaging for thing for our staff and working in in petrol fumes or working in clean air, you know, that that informs that decision, really. There has to be something that's a principle that's behind it all, because how do we know to, to let some weeds grow and not let weeds grow? And how do we then relate that to productive growing? Or how do we relate that to pest and disease control or water management? And so what I've been trying to do, and what I've been grappling with for the last few months, is a model to help us to think so that we start to look at every process that we do when we're working as gardens managers and we're reviewing that process against a number of criteria and the first one is to rethink everything because why am i doing this why am i why am i growing these in pots in the first place because the pot had to be fired the pot had to be brought probably from china the compost we can go for eco composts 
and we can go for Kaya, but if that Kaya is air freighted in as much of it was recently, that's not really an environmentally sustainable way of gardening. And so you're starting to say, actually, why, why, why am I growing that in a pot? Because we seem to have gone into a culture where we do that. So the, the basic concept is that we have to rethink and we have to reimagine and, and ask ourselves, what am I trying to achieve? If we think about that from the perspective of garden design, you know, are we rethinking? People tell me, I want, I want a patio. I want, you know, a nice limestone patio with some garden furniture. Well, actually, why? Why do you want that? What are you wanting that for? What, what do you actually want to use the space for? And then let's think about sustainability and come up with the most, the most sustainable way of creating the space to do what you want it to do, which is quite often quite different to the picture that we had in our mind when we started. I've got to get the script to them by January, by the beginning of January. And then I think the whole process of doing whatever dark arts and magic they do, of taking the script and, and make it into a book takes about eight or nine months. So it should be, it could be on the shelves for Christmas next year. Excellent. So a book on sustainable gardening and gardens and horticulture, but thinking kind of outside the book. Now, I hinted in my introduction that you, you've had quite a varied career um, across horticulture. So you've worked in commercial horticulture. You work now with, with garden centres and growers. You've taught horticulture. You also present a gardening programme on, on Radio Humberside, BBC Radio Humberside. So how did you get to do all this? And you know, how, did, how did you get into horticulture and where did it all start? Well, a complete and utter lack of planning, really. I think if I'd thought about it, it would have been more structured. You have that chat with your parents, don't you? You're going to have to go and do something, lad. At a very, very early age, I loved plants. I've never been, I think I'm like a lot of people that choose horticulture. I'm better with plants than I am with people. And I'm more comfortable working with plants than I am in large, you know, in large crowds of people. And as a teenager, somewhat unusually at the age of 13 I had an allotment and I started to grow veg and the local shop were very supportive little village shop and they bought the veg from me and when I was at school they would go over and cut cabbages and then you know when I when I went to see them on a Saturday it was a bit like getting pocket money they'd say you know well we we sold this and here's here's this money that made me think horticulture was only about growing to sell I, I grew up, actually, I grew up at the, the very bottom of Hillier's Arboretum in Bracefield. And we used to play as children, building dens and climbing trees in the Arboretum. And we had to sort of hide from Harold Hillier, who would be kind of coming around. And he, he with his collection of fine and rare trees, didn't like the local village children climbing them and making dens and things like that. You know, I knew of Hillier's. I got a summer job there when I was at, at school and college, and that was working in the propagation department there. And that was a real revelation. The other local company that I worked for was a, a company called AR Wills, and that was a tomato grower. And that, that really, that year working for them as a, as a charge hand growing tomatoes was the most fascinating year of my life because they they knew everything about that one plant tomato 
and they were coaxing every last pound of tomatoes out of those plants. And it was really interesting to see how, how there was a business that was, was so focused on, on this one plant and, and was really benchmarking against other businesses to see how much they could produce. And of course, send off to, to Sainsbury's and other supermarkets. And then I went to college. And at that point, for the first time, I discovered that there was gardens management and there were these other areas of horticulture. And I want to do it all. I want to do everything. How can you limit yourself to one area? I long to be a specialist, but I can't be. I, I think of myself more as a GP that kind of, you know, you, you have a little knowledge of a lot of different areas and you can signpost people to the experts. So I went to Rittal. I did the Master of Horticulture with the RHS when I was at college, I noticed that there were these people called lecturers, and in all honesty, they didn't seem to do a lot. They could play with plants, and I thought, well, that's the life for me. So I became a technician in Wales, working at the Welsh College of Horticulture, and that was great, and then came across to a college in, in East Yorkshire, um, in the heart of Cucumber Territory, and over the years, I slowly kind of moved up and became head of horticulture there. And we started to look at moving away from just cucumbers and introduced plantsmanship as a, as a qualification and garden design. And we were starting to look at some of the things that are now very, very popular. I remember way before it became something that people were talking about, we were starting to play with ecological plantings and things like that. And we were just playing with plants and looking at new ways I think really with sustainability at its heart as well. And we ran a nursery there. I then decided I'd always wanted to work for myself. And then came that point that you thought, crumbs, I'm, you know, I'm getting older. If I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And so there was that really fateful day when I, I walked in and said, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave. Here's my notice. Goodbye and worked out the notice period with nothing to go to, just knowing that I wanted to work for myself. And that was, that was, you know, scary. I'd worked as a marker for the Royal Horticultural Society and their qualifications for a while, and just mentioned I was available, you know, <laughs> for quite a lot more work, and started to work with some of the local garden centres and some of the local nurseries and plant producers. I also joined the Horticultural Trades Association as one of their business development advisors. And that was really interesting. That was going round to member garden centres. I had a sort of kingdom that they gave me, um, which was sort of anything, anything up north and over towards the kind of east. And the job was to visit garden centres to help them with the problems that they had. The key work over the last few years has been really involved around much more the sort of the, the gardens, gardens management, the experience that visitors have within the garden. Is there a particular plant? Now that can just be, you know, it is a plant that is sat on your desk and it's that plant. Or is there a group of plants or something that you just think that is what I get really enthusiastic about? I mean, it is ever so difficult because you keep meeting new plants, don't you? And you you keep thinking, oh, I like you. And I have uh, kind of in front of the garage, I have my collection of pots, which are plants that I will one day plant in my garden, because one day my garden will magically become large enough 
that I can fit them in. The plant that brings me the greatest pleasure is my ginkgo tree. I've always loved ginkgo trees. My first trip over to America um, was looking at ginkgos at the Arnold Arboretum and then moving on and looking at, at, at gardens management over there. But I planted a ginkgo, oh, I've been in the house for a while now, it must be 30 years, and I planted the ginkgo. And it's, people say they're slow growing, but it, once it got its roots down into, into the ground, it does about a metre a year. And it's, it's, it's absolutely huge now. And I'm so pleased that I did, I did those things that, you know, I planted it well away from the fence because now the trunk is so huge that, you know, it would have been pushing the fence over. And at this time of the year, it's doing, it's, it's going to do as buttery yellow leaf thing. I, I just love it. I love everything about it. I love the stories about it. I love the fact that the earth was covered with ginkgos. I love the fact that it's a broadleaf deciduous conifer. I love the fact in plant taxonomy you know, they, they talk about taxonomic hierarchies and all those posh words. And then they sort of have that extra line. And then there is the ginkgo tree. And I love the fact, maybe I associate with it because I think I'm a bit of a misfit and a bit of an outsider. And I think, I think the ginkgo is a misfit and a bit of outsider. So I think, I think with the ginkgo, I found my soulmate. I think plants generally are just amazing. And, and then you have those moments where you, you meet something totally new, something totally different, something unusual. And then you buy that. And uh, one of the other plants that I've really started to like is, is bizarrely, is Aspidistra. Again, it was, it was inspired actually by Matt Pottage, who's curator at Wisley, who I think, I think had inherited an Aspidistra and planted it under a tree in the garden in dry shade. And I've bought quite a few over the years, different varieties of Aspidistra. And when you've got things like underneath the shade of a ginkgo tree, um, there's now an Aspidistra glade growing. And that's really exciting. And so, and so you, you start to kind of fall in love with plants. And then, then they sort of just, you know, they're there and, you know, they're doing their thing. And then another one comes. It's a good that, you see, you're only supposed to have one special person in your life, aren't you? But you can have lots of special plants. I also like pests because I've got by the front door, I've got a sarcococca and it gets scale. And, and actually having a look at those scale insects under a microscope and seeing the, the little families of scale insect, because you've got the large scale insect that's kind of just there eating, kind of sucking the sap and goodness out of a plant. But then you've got the little babies around it and the markings on them. And you just start to get lost in their world. And I think that's the other thing that, that you, you can't be a horticulturalist and interested in plants and then not be interested to a certain extent in entomology and to a certain extent in nature and in wildlife and in the environment and in the planet. And I think that's what keeps us grounded, isn't it? And we are maybe more acutely aware of the passing of the seasons and planning ahead. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the person was saying, you know, my job is to actually understand why plants behave the way they behave and why they do the things they do and what the mechanisms are that make them do that. And even down to plants having different colored petals and the genetics involved in that, they are just the most fascinating, interesting things to study. And there's, 
you never get tired of that. And the other thing that I've noticed with horticulturists is because of that, horticulturists don't retire, do they? They don't, they don't get to a certain age and then say, I never want to look at another plant again, because we just carry on. And in fact, I know so many horticulturists that after they've retired, they've intensified their work because they've got rid of all the other distractions and they can just study this particular genera that they're interested in. What does the future hold for you? I think nowadays they say that we have many careers, don't we? Don't they? And I think I had a career in production horticulture. I had a career in education. I've had a bit of a career working within the garden centre industry. And now kind of back to education. I love the teaching. I love working with the qualifications team at the RHS who are just the most awesome people. So you've got you've got that side. And I think really just trying to unfathom how sustainability can look within horticulture. And I think that's the key thing is trying to understand and unpack and share the thought processes, the models of thinking that will help us to make wise, sustainable decisions. And there's lots of really exciting things that that I'm hearing about that are starting to happen from, you know, when we buy a washing machine, not the most exciting thing compared to plants to buy, but necessary, it will have an A to E or whatever energy efficiency rating. There's no talk about those similar ratings, although it's going to be voluntary, coming on to bags of growing media, which will help people to make maybe that slightly more informed choice. That seems quite a sensible thing. Why aren't we doing that with everything else? Why isn't the garden bench that we buy? Why hasn't that got those same credentials? And I was at an HTA conference a few years ago, and the person that was speaking there who was leading environmental sustainability thinking for the likes of B&Q, was saying, actually, the the thing you have to think about, and and this would be as true for a a gardens manager as it is for a garden centre manager, if that product could tell its story, if that bench that's just being put in the garden could tell its story, would it tell of being from a managed plantation where it was carefully felled and other trees were planted to replace it, where it was carefully fashioned into the bench by skilled craftsmen and then placed in the garden? Or would it tell a story of habitat destruction and illegal logging, of child labour manufacturing it, and of then being shipped across on a heavy polluting vessel to the UK so that it's a little bit cheaper? And I think those are the ways that I think we've got to start thinking. You know, if that if that product, if that paving slab, if that, if that plant could tell its story, what would it be telling? What would it be saying? I think that's a really interesting and really powerful way of thinking about things. And that's about sharing our passion. Our buying team bought this because they thought, you know, that you would like this because it is more environmentally sensitive in its, in, in its production. This is why we did this. I think at the end of the day, so much is about passion and so much is about communication. And, and maybe that's the same within, within management. You know, I've, I've, I've managed reasonably large teams of staff. I think, I think if they saw that you were really enthusiastic about what they were doing and you wanted to support them in what they were doing, then that, that made all the difference. And actually, 
you know, on that staff management, one of the things that I do when I go in and do management training is ask people, you know, who was the best manager you've ever had and what did they do? And it's the same in retail, you know, where, where did you go that you had the very best retail experience, right? Now let's benchmark your current, your performance as a manager against that, that, that person that you thought was awesome. And let's work out where you want to go and where the training can take you and things like that. So it's, it's, I think, I think everything is just about enthusiasm and passion and it's infectious. And we've, we've had chats, Rebecca, and I've gone away from our chats together, reinvigorated to go and do the things that I'm doing. And, and that's, I think, what Plant Network is all about, that, that people come together and they, they reinvigorate each other. The world grinds us down. And then we meet people with shared passions and we feed off each other's passions and enthusiasm. And then refreshed and renewed, we go back to tackle the problems that we've got. And, and that's why organisations like Plant Network, I think, are just so vital. I, I just wondered as well, with all, with all your passion, enthusiasm, the, the, the various different horticultural sectors you've worked in and education, what advice would you give to someone just starting out in, in horticulture? I think just do it. Don't listen to the, the people that are advising you. You know, I, I met, it's probably a few years ago now, it feels like the other day, the National Parsnip Consultant. Now, nobody at school in careers told me you could be a National Parsnip Consultant. And I was giving advice to some youngsters at a graduation I was saying, do you know, much of the work that I do at the moment is IT based as well. And that hadn't been invented when I started out in my career. If it's a young person coming into horticulture, the technologies that you're going to be using, the techniques you're going to be using, the real influences, which at the moment are sustainability, but we don't know with climate change what they are going to be in years to come, those challenges are going to be very different. They're going to be unthinkable to us now. But actually what matters is following your heart, having, having a career where you think you're making a difference, having a career with lovely people that are incredibly supportive, having a career where you can be creative, having a career where you can probably make the greatest difference to sustainability and climate change, having that career, following your heart, don't listen to the naysayers. You know, the, I, I think a lot of rubbish is spoken about careers in horticulture. And one of the things that annoys me is people say, well, they don't pay very well, do they? Well, maybe that was true in the 1940s. But you could say Costas, well, they don't pay very well, do they? Starbucks, they don't pay very well, do they? My advice to the young person is, Go for what you want to go for, but then ask yourself, where in that industry do you want to be? Because you can be the person who is doing the groundworks. You can be the person that is laying the bricks, or you can be the architect, and they earn very different sums of money. And there are plenty of people within horticulture earning, you know, they can have 70, 80, 100, 150, 200,000 a year. And we, we still tell people it's poorly paid. 
I think we talk down. I mean, this is one of weird things. We work in the greatest industry that there is. And we're working, you know, we're working with these amazing things called plants. We, yes, there are days that it's cold and it's wet and it's difficult, but there are days when it's sunny and it's gorgeous and the birds are singing. We grow joy and happiness, which is why people come to our gardens. You know, we do, we do all of that. You know, we, we do amazing things. And then when people say, would you like to come and I'd like to be like you and work in your industry? Oh, the pay's rubbish. Oh, you don't want to do that. No. We, we want to grab people and shake them and say, do you realise pre-COVID you were on crowded train and you were pressed up against somebody's back, sardines in a train, and then they're going to work in a kind of glass and stainless steel office. And you were thinking, do you not know? Do you not know that you could actually be out in the countryside? You could be working with nature. You could be stopping watching butterflies for five minutes while you're doing this. Do you not realise? And you've chosen not to do that. And you've chosen to be pressed into a train and to go and work in a soulless call centre with people griping and moaning to you all day, when you could have the whole of nature and the whole of the planet to play with. When I was advising people on going into education, I was saying to them, you know, make sure that you choose, when you choose a college, ask how many people complete the course compared to how many people start it, because then you'll know whether it's a good course. If you're choosing a career, ask yourself how many people count down their days to being able to retire and how many people just carry on because they love it so much and maybe that's the way that we get the message home that it's so good we never ever want it to end i'm going to end with one slightly difficult question doug well maybe you can answer it really quickly i don't know if you could go back to the beginning so your 13 year old self selling vegetables to, to to the local shop would you do anything differently Oh, that's a that's such a difficult question, isn't it? I think I've led a charmed life. I don't think I would do anything differently. I might I, I possibly make different decisions relationship-wise and things like that, <laughs> save oneself a little bit of heartache. But career-wise, no, I'd do it all over again. I I I I'm just so grateful and so happy that. By accident of having an allotment and my father saying, if you really enjoy that, why don't you do that for a living? And the penny dropping is thinking, yes, that's what I want to do. And then just happening to live at the foot of Hilliers. And so that was where you did your summer holiday job. And that really got me hooked. And, and then it, it was just one step at a time. And no, I wouldn't do a thing different because I absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Doug, for, for speaking with me today and, and talking about your passion for horticulture. Mm-hmm.